Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you Kevin Mather. Kevin is a para-archer and he won a gold medal at the Tokyo Paralympic Games, which was his first games. And he's a previous alpine skier and Ironman triathlete. So welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you come and tell us a little bit about your story. So why don't you start us off with giving us a bit of an idea about your background, your impairment, and how you got into para-archery? Yeah, so that's a long road, but I, uh, I, was, a, <laughs> I was a triathlete when I was an able-bodied person, and I uh, was out on a training ride on my bike with about 10 other guys, and yeah, got rear-ended by a truck doing about 60 miles an hour. That's, I don't know, around 120, 120K, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood. And mm, yeah. I, uh, you know, suffered a spinal cord injury. And at that point, it was about a T10 spinal cord injury mm. complete. And yeah, so that's how I became a paraplegic. And mm. after that, I um, was challenged by one of my buddies about two years after my injury, one of my friends who was on the ride with me to uh, attempt Ironman Kona. So I started mm. tra training for Ironman Kona in probably September, October of 2011. And then I qualified and competed in and took second place in the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii in the uh, hand cycle division in 2012. Mm. I finished somewhere around 1236 wow. in that bout and definitely could have used a better, well, I had a great nutrition plan, but our plans didn't always come to fruition on race days such as that. <laughs> I was pretty, it, that, I was, I was actually spectating at that, that Ironman and it was hot. It was like, a big hot day. There was spectator. It was nasty. Yeah, there was lots of big wind out on the bike course, and uh, I actually got dumped on with a ton of rain coming down from Javi, and basically mm. it was windy and and all that going up the hill to Javi, and then when I turned around, it was just a downpour. So on the downhill, I couldn't like make <laughs> up the time because I was going slow because I couldn't see anything because mm. it was so like it was torrential. So I, I just should have been faster, so I would have missed the rain. But uh, <laughs> kind of that in early 2012, you know, January 2012, I went to an alpine skiing camp in Mammoth, California, and kind of got introduced to alpine skiing. I had skied standing up, skied and snowboarded and, you know, lots of snow sports. And I really didn't think I'd want to deal with snow or having to wear a bunch of layers of clothes while being in a wheelchair just didn't sound appealing to me. But mm -hmm. kind of after that trip and like being out on a monoski, I, uh, I really enjoyed it. So I just kind of, uh, I didn't ski a ton that year training for Ironman, but you know, I think I maybe got six days in that year or something like that. And then, uh, yeah. as soon as I was done with Ironman, I really, you know, got into it, you know, purchased my own monoski, and, you know, the, the 2013 season for us, that'd be like November, December of 2012 through, you know, uh, May or June of 2013. I probably got like 60 days of, on snow. And one of those days, there were some coaches from the national team, the, you know, the alpine skiing team out at Mammoth. And uh, they were doing a camp 
and they invited me to come hang out with them and ski with ski with them, maybe do some drills and all that sort of stuff. And then at the end of that trip, they sort of invited me to come out to a team camp with them at Mount Hood up in Oregon. And at that point, I was like, I don't really want to do that. Like, I, I didn't, I love skiing, but I, <laughs> I didn't want to kind of, I didn't want to be told what to do. Like, I wanted to be a better skier, but like yeah. racing gates didn't seem fun to me. I just wanted to go free ski and have fun, kind of, you know, rip around the mountain. Yeah. But along those same lines, I was also started the process of going through a divorce. And so then the the switch kind of got flipped where I was like, well, it might not be a bad idea to get out of uh, this sort of hometown where I had been known as me and my wife for the last eight years. So so then I was like, well, it might be more fun to, to join the ski team. So I went up to uh, Mount Hood, <laughs> skied with them for, you know, 10, 14 days up there. And then they were happy enough with me that they invited me to come out to Aspen, Colorado. And I, uh, so I moved out there the end of 2013, beginning of the 2014 ski season and skied there. So the end of 2013 through the end of 2017, yeah, I was a, a competitive alpine skier up to mm. skiing the Alpine Skiing World Championships in Tarvisio, Italy in 2017. I think that was February. Yep. So did that and then... Um, Kind of along the way, uh, when I was on the ski team, I started volunteering for uh, Craig Hospital, which is a very large spinal cord rehab facility. And so I would drive In down from, Denver. Yep. Yeah, Denver, Colorado. And I uh, I would drive down mm-hmm. from Aspen, Colorado, on like Friday after we were done training, and probably did this every other weekend. So I would drive down Friday, you know, hang out at Craig Hospital Friday evening, and then. Originally, I would crash, you know, just get a hotel and then hang out all day mm-hmm. Saturday and then kind of drive home Saturday night unless they had an event on Sunday. Then I would stick around Sunday as well and then drive home Sunday night and then go back to skiing on Monday. I made, you know, along the way, I made some friends with other volunteers and, you know, started crashing at now my good friend John's house. And one night just after done volunteer, you know, family night at the hospital, uh, he's like, hey, I'm going to go shoot archery after this. You want to come? And I was like, yeah, like I'm not doing anything else. I don't really know anybody else down here. So um, <laughs> so we, we went and shot and I enjoyed it, you know, just kind of shooting a, a rental reeker bow, no sight, no stable, you know, mm-hmm. nothing on it. Just a kind of traditional style bow and arrow. Yeah, yeah. just started started shooting and got kind of decent at it somewhat quickly this was probably in 2015 i want to say then uh like got interested enough where i wanted my own equipment so i I found a used left-handed bow at this local shop down here in denver and got a screaming deal on it because it's a left-handed you know olympic recurve and (laughs) it's not a ton of lefties in the world (laughs) yeah pretty much so uh it got a screaming deal on that got that got it all set up and then uh probably had that for less than a month and i uh i broke the middle finger on my left hand which is my draw hand for me and uh i was like okay probably never gonna shoot archery again like it was pretty mangled um and uh, like, no way could I draw back a bow. And so mm-hmm. I I just thought archery was done. So it's kind of like I shot archery for maybe two months or so in that like 2015. And then, uh, you know, I went 
went and saw a hand surgeon, all this. And by the time I saw the surgeon, he's like, well, you definitely messed it up, but it's kind of healed enough now where <laughs> if I go in there, like it's probably going to be, you know, whether I, I do surgery or not, it'll probably have about the same outcome. So I was mm. like, oh, good. So he gave me a bunch of exercises to do and stretching the thing and mobility. And mm. so I did, you know, did all these things for about a year or so. It, it took a long time. And, and finally, I was uh, I was mm. doing it one day and like that knuckle sort of popped like a normal sort of knuckle pop. And I was like, ooh, maybe it's better now. <laughs> so, like that was that was the sign to me that it was fixed. <laughs> so then I, uh, yeah, I started shooting archery again after that and that was probably yeah i don't know like early 2017 i would say like just started messing around when i was coming down to denver again and then when the ski season ended i think our national champs was in like april or something maybe end of march early april i was kind of like i had bought a house in the in denver and i was planning on sort of living in denver when i wasn't up in aspen and I was like, well, I might as well find an archery coach, like, because I kind of like this archery stuff, and mm. I can shoot it again. My finger's still messed up, but it's it's good enough to shoot. So yeah, I found a coach in the Denver area and started working with him. And at, at that point, the trials this was probably in the May area of 2017, and mm -hmm. he's like, well, they have trials for the World Championship team in I think it was in June or maybe early July, and he's like. If, if you really want to be, you know, a Paralympic archer, like you should probably go shoot that, right? To go get classified and, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. and, and he's like, and if you're going to shoot it, you might as well be as best prepared as you can be. And I was like, okay, sure. So then, you know, bought pretty much all new equipment, right? New bow, limbs, arrows, mm -hmm. everything. And got everything tuned and put in a ton of, ton of work. And yeah, qualified for the third the third slot on the team mm -hmm. at that point I was planning on being a dual sport athlete, like sort of training kind yep. of both, but you know, putting more effort into Alpine skiing during the winter cycle and then more effort in archery during the summer mm -hmm. cycle. And, yep. you know, my coach was like, well, if you really want to be good at archery, like you're going to have to commit to archery. And I'm like, yeah, like I get that. And he's like, what would it take, you know, for you to fully commit to archery? And I was like, well, if I make this team, right, if I make the world champs team, it's like, okay. And <laughs> yep. then, of course, so then I go and make the team and haven't skied since. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how I got into archery and, you know, all those different sports. And it's been a, it's been a fun mm. journey to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, quite a, an interesting journey. So can you tell us what your classification is for archery and also then what a recurve bow is and how does para archery work sure so i right, am, tell us a bit about the sport yeah so the sport of para archery is interesting to me you know as i've been in different para sports and i've observed different para sports archery my classification is w2 which is basically mm -hmm. any seated athlete that has full use of their upper limbs is going to be a w2 athlete Mm -hmm. So there are some athletes that use like a stand that's like they're in more of a standing position, but they kind of lean against a stand for stability. Say if they have like, mm -hmm. you know, two amputated lower limbs, they might do something like that. But yeah, so I'm a W2. So basically there is standing, seated, and there's also W1s, which are 
archers with upper and lower limb impairment and core. Mm-hmm. They, they must also have core uh, instability. So uh, like quadriplegia or different forms of M- mm-hmm. MS will often classify archers in the W1 category. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about archery is that the standing and seated athletes all compete together. So we shoot in the open mm. classes. There is compound open, which is a compound bow, meaning it has cams on the end of the limbs, which provide a mechanical advantage when you draw the bow back. So they're very efficient mm-hmm. and a lot easier to, once you draw the bow back, it lets off the draw weight. So as you're drawing the bow back, it can hit a peak weight of 60 pounds per the, the rules is mm-hmm. the maximum. But when you get it fully back and you, you know, anchor your bow, you would probably be holding somewhere, you know, 15 pounds or something like that. So a lot, a lot less of that. Right. So that's compound open. Then I shoot recurve open, which is uh, more of like the tradi- traditional style sort of hunger game style bow where it's just, you know, a, a metal mm-hmm. riser. And then with a, a, a limb on either side and an arrow, right? And I mean, we still have, we have a sight and we have stabilizers coming off the bow. Like we call it Olympic recurve would be the style of recurve we shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the the main difference is as I pull back my bow, the draw weight just continues to get harder. Like the further I go back, the heavier mm. that spring is. So at full draw for me, when I'm, uh, you know, almost ready to shoot the arrow. I'm holding about 47, 48 pounds on my fingers. Mm. So that requires a lot of strength, both in the the stabilizers in terms of your core, your shoulders, and as well as a lot of hand strength. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. I don't know how much grip strength it requires because like the way your finger folds around the string, it's pretty efficient. So I don't, I try to relax, keep my hand as relaxed as possible, like only enough tension to maintain the hook on the string. Yep. And yet I also, at this point, I have no core muscles. I, uh, in 2018, I had a surgery that's supposed to help eliminate nerve pain that ended up causing more nerve pain and causing more paralysis. So I, uh, I now function around a, uh, like T5, T6 Right. And, uh, so, so I'm allowed, uh, if you have, you know, significant core instability, then you're allowed to shoot with a a strap, you know, body strapping that is kind of goes, mine's around like just below my chest, like just below my pec muscles, I guess. And there's rules for that. Like it can only be two inches wide and it has to be like 110 millimeters from your tricep at full draw of your bow, all these fun nuance rules uh-huh. that we have to and that, follow with and that strap goes around that strap goes around your chair to uh, kind of hold you in your chair yeah it's attached to my backrest so yeah it's kind of squeezing me into mm. my backrest yep which provides you know lateral stability for me as i'm you know raising and drawing my mm-hmm. bow yeah and then i think i covered it all and then so how many arrows in a in a competition for example how many arrows and what distance are you shooting at yeah so the the Amount of arrows we shoot, everybody shoots 72 arrows to qualify. That's normally um, day mm-hmm. one. We'll have qualification day. And then they will rank everybody based on their qualifying scores. And then the second day, you know, will be elimination day. 
So they put us in brackets and we go head to head. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's normally a 64 person bracket. So if there's more than 64 people and you were, you were 68th, you uh, get to go home early. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's unfortunate if you're that, but uh, even if you're 64th, I mean, you're 64th, so you'd be going against the first place person. Mm -hmm. your, your odds are not very good. So then we shoot head-to-head -head matches on the on the recurve side. We shoot recurve side shoots seventy meters, and for the mm -hmm. recurve matches, we shoot for set points. So each set is worth yep. two points, and if you win the set, so uh, you shoot so three arrows per set, and uh, yep. if my three arrows scored more than my opponent's three arrows, then I would get two set points. If we tied, we would each get one set point. And then if I lost, I would get zero set points. And we are mm -hmm. racing to six set points. If right. for some reason we tied at uh, five set points apiece, then we would go into a one arrow shoot off on the next set, I guess. And it would just be one arrow. Mm -hmm. And whoever is closest to the center would uh, get that final point. So, right. and I, uh, I've shot a lot of those. I shot one of those in Tokyo and yeah, it's, I, I normally do pretty good with them. So I'm, I'm happy to go to a one arrow shoot off. And then on the compound side of things, they do a total score. So three arrows per end, you know, and then they shoot five ends. So the perfect score is 150 and it is, yeah, it's yep. just cumulative score. So for them, it's a little more, if you have a bad arrow, especially early on, it's really hard to come back from. Yep. Yeah, yep. you've got to be on your game the the whole match there. And, you know, not that you don't mm -hmm. on the recurve side, but on the recurve side, you could shoot a two, you know, something happens, you know, and you could still come back from that relatively easily. Mm. Okay, cool. And so what does a typical training week look like for you? Yeah, training weeks for me are – Often uh, six days of shooting, and I will mm -hmm. sort of go up and down, but my lowest sort of training day would be in that 200 to 250 arrows during the day. Mm -hmm. um, and my highest arrow count day would be in that 400 to 450 arrows. Mm -hmm. You know, often I, especially when I get closer to, you know, tournament season, like I like to add a good amount of cardio into my weeks. I'd like to mm -hmm. add it year round, but it's like 25 degrees outside right now. And I don't feel like freezing my hands off. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do get in the gym this time of year. You know, I don't want to be totally out of shape coming into the season. But yeah, it'll, you know, uh, at least, you know, four days of cardio. And I try to do kind of significant, like somewhere close to vo2 max like kind of getting really exerting myself you know for as long as mm -hmm. i possibly can i find and, that and would you do that on a like a hand cycle or a racing chair like what's your preferred way of getting your cardio yeah for me my preferred way is on a, a mountain bike uh, so a mountain hand cycle mm -hmm. um and i mean luckily i live in colorado so it's not hard to find a mountain to go crank mm. up so i just there's a uh, a mountain near my home called Green Mountain that has a great parking space. And I just get out of there, transfer to my bike and basically go straight up a mountain for an hour mm. at my, <laughs> my, my best shape and, you know, fitness and everything. I can get up that mountain from parking lot to mountaintop in about 56 minutes is 
is my best I've ever done. So maybe I can get that down to 52 this year. We'll see how it goes. And what about uh, strength work? Do you do much work in the gym? I struggle with wanting to do strength work, but I I have been off Mm -hmm. and on. I try to get three days of strength work in the gym if possible. It's, uh, it's kind of something I've been playing with. I don't, you know, talking to, you know, other able-bodied athletes, it's like they've got more muscle groups that they're able to work. And mm-hmm. so for me, I'm like, well, how often do I need to be working out my arms? And I, I yeah. tend to find three days is, is kind of adequate for me. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be Mr. Muscle Man or anything, but, you know, I want to, you know, strength, strength training has great benefits all around, you know, even outside of sports. So, you know, I try to be all around healthy if I can do so. Mm. So, um, you know, I'll do kind of one day of like the pulling sort of exercises. I mean, I know that all muscles can do or pull, but, uh, you know, uh, pulling, pulling towards me. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, you know, maybe I'd do that on Monday, right. And then Wednesday I would do pushing exercises, and then, uh, like Friday, I would do sort of supplemental training where I'm doing more specific, like, uh, shoulder strength and mobility exercises, um, in more muscular endurance on my Friday. So I'll do, you know, on Monday and Wednesday, I'm looking for more kind of strength and power. So I'm going to keep my, my working sets to, uh, you know, that like six maybe, you know, five, maybe five to eight sort of, and then, uh, you know, maybe three sets of, of, of working sets, you know, I do maybe a a two, two warmup sets kind of lifting maybe, you know, 40%, maybe like 70% and then getting Mm -hmm. into a good, really struggling for those, uh, three working sets. And then, you know, as opposed on Friday, Friday, I'm going to be doing stuff with a good, you know, a, a lot less weight but I'm going to be doing yep. 15 to 20, 20 reps um, and really focusing on form, really focusing on, you know, range of motion, like really getting my shoulders, you know, for archery, we want to drive our shoulders down. We want to engage our lats as much as possible. So like bringing the shoulders through a bunch mm-hmm. of range of motion, you know, internal, external rotation with my shoulder engaged, driving down while I'm doing those uh, stuff like mm. that. Yep. Yeah, to help protect your your shoulders as much as you can in that process. I guess picking up the bow and and shooting, you know, 200, 250 arrows in itself is a form of strength training anyway because of the amount of force that's needed to get the bow at full stretch. So how long would 200 to 250 arrows take you? Uh, so that is all depend, like it can take as long as you, as you want, if you're slow about it. Um, <laughs> depends, so, depends on how, how much you chat in between times. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a pretty chatty guy. So it, if, <laughs> if I need, I, I try to like schedule my life around my training. And so if there's like other things I need to do that day, it's like, okay, today's going to be, you know, a lighter arrow count day. Like I could knock out uh, mm-hmm. 250 arrows in, you know, three, probably less than three hours if I really, you know, hunkered down. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're doing like two arrows a minute, that's kind of like a pretty good fast pace. And, you know, it depends how you're, what mm-hmm. your focus is for the day. So if I'm at a range that's 70 meters and I'm, I'm pulling my own arrows and things like that, again, it depends on what my focus is. If I'm doing like working on a folk, uh, 
a form focus and I don't really, I'm not trying to simulate a tournament. Like, you know, I've got 24 arrows. I can just lob a ton of arrows downrange. That way I'm minimizing my time mm-hmm. going down to target, pulling arrows, coming back. To um, pick them up. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be sort of a faster way to shoot at full distance, you know, as opposed to if I'm going to shoot like simulate a tournament, right. Where in tournaments, we shoot six arrows at a time for, you know, 12 times. So mm. that's going to take a good amount longer, but yeah. uh, oftentimes I'm shooting in my house at uh, we call it blank bail. So, you know, you're maybe mm-hmm. like three meters from the target face and uh, with nothing to right. aim at. And you're just going through form and watching video review. So you can, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about form and uh, archery so much mm-hmm. about the form and execution and tempo that so many people get sucked into always aiming at a target. And it's like the more you can execute mm-hmm. a shot, like you're not aiming at a target, the better off you're going to be. So yep. it's weird. Yeah. So you've got, you know, that, that use of electronic equipment that you can actually bring into your home and it, that enables you to replicate how you would shoot an arrow in a in an outdoor setting. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, all I'm doing is I use an iPad with a video delay app and, you know, I just set the iPad so I can see the screen and it's using the front, you know, the, the front-facing camera. And so I set it up so it delays for about eight seconds. So that way when I'm done executing my mm. shot, like my shot cycle takes about seven seconds. So as soon as my shot's done, yep. there's about a second. And then I see myself. You can then watch the replay. Yeah. And yep. then, so it's just like a super effective self-coaching tool. It's like, okay, I'm looking for my hand to be doing this through the shot. And it's like, well, I could do that better. I could mm. do that better. So, mm. yeah. And then we also have kind of gyroscopic electronics that mount to our bow that kind of tell us, uh, how stable our bow is during different parts of the shot and things of that nature. And you can fiddle with things and try to, mm-hmm. you know, increase those numbers as best as possible. And then I'll do some of the workout, right? We do SPTs, right? Specific physical training for archery where I'm actually working out with my bow, right? So I will do, mm-hmm. um, sometimes that's just doing, we call it four minute drill. So that would be if you're shooting, and, you know, a, a normal quiver of arrows is 12 arrows, right? If you go and buy arrows, they sell them by yep. the dozen. So I've got 12 arrows in my quiver and you set a timer that makes a ding every 20 seconds. And basically mm-hmm. you hit start and you shoot until your arrows are done. So, <laughs> uh, right. Shooting an arrow every 20 seconds. It's like the first, uh, maybe the first set or two for it is like, okay, that's not that hard. And then your third set, you're like, by that like seventh arrow, you're like, oh boy, I better, like, I'm starting to get behind. Yep. Like, and then, uh, you know, so if you do that, if you just did that for like a half an hour, you'd be pretty spent or, yep. you know, we, we also have drills where, right. Where we're do like draw and hold drills where say, right. You'll draw your bow back for a minute and, you know, hold it back for a minute at full draw. Mm. Um, yep. and then, you know, you'll let down and then you'll normally we'll do a two to one rest period. So if you held it back for a minute, two minutes of rest and then just rinse and repeat, you know, yep. and whatever interval you're, mm. you're able to maintain with a uh, good form, you know, if you got to start out, you're holding for 30 seconds and then you take a minute break, you know, you do that. Mm. Or even if, you know, 30 seconds, take a three minute break, whatever you need to do to always be yeah. pushing to increase uh, those numbers. 
Yeah, so there's lots of variety in that training. So how do you manage your nutrition? Like obviously you started off in Ironman, which is, you know, generally has a fairly heavy nutrition focus because it's such a mammoth event and then you've moved into a completely different type of training how do you manage your nutrition around that do you think nutrition is important when you're for your archery yeah nutrition is is very important for i think it's important for all sports i mean if you aren't if you're fueling your body and mind like in a way that one that you've trained it to be fueled like that's one thing that i've been more paying attention to is like how do I train my body to be fueled and then mm-hmm. you know if, if I just show up and I eat a bunch of garbage at a tournament like I can't expect me to be on point you know it doesn't mean I'll have a poor result that event but it doesn't mean that I set myself up for success in every way that I could have right mm-hmm. like in Ironman it was like if I showed up like unfueled for an Ironman like I might make it through the swim and halfway into the bike you know you you going to have a bad day. (laughs) Yeah. And you're going to have a long, long day of IVs in you. So it's just a, there's definitely differences there, but in archery, I mean, I could talk about all the sports if you want, but in, in archery specifically for me, some, uh, so things I did prior to Tokyo was I really worked with my nutritionist about playing around with hydration and cooling were like fundamental mm-hmm. to, I mean, Tokyo was like over 90, 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is in Celsius, yeah. but a lot. And yeah. uh, up towards 30. <laughs> yeah. And uh, incredibly humid, right? Like 90% humidity plus. And so yeah. I got there and was just, drenched with sweat immediately getting off the plane i'm like this is gonna be super fun so but we had (laughs) we had we had prepared for that in uh playing with what sort of hydration strategies work best for us and you know what's basically that meaning what sort of products we enjoy because if if you don't enjoy drinking something you're probably not going to drink it like right so like finding Mm. a product that tastes good to you that also gets you the the supplements you need and so that's, we, we worked a lot with that. And then also like cooling, which is not necessarily nutrition, but for athletes with disabilities, like our cooling uh, capabilities are often impaired as well. So, right. We worked with like cooling vests. Like I always had kind of a, a I used a dry bag. Like if you went like on a rafting trip or something like that, you would, you know, put all mm-hmm. your kit in a dry bag and, Mine was a wet bag, so I, t- I took the dry bag and I loaded it. <laughs> I, I filled it with ice water, and then I would have cooling towels in there. Mm-hmm. And then, right, I'd shoot my six arrows, and then I'd throw an ice cold rag over my uh, shoulders and head in between ends, mm-hmm. you know, to try to get my keep my, you know, not get it down, but keep my core temp from rising yep. above a hundred. I would, you know, we did uh, we did some experimentation where we were at an event and we had, you know, it was a, a it wasn't even that hot. It was probably, you know, in the, in the eighties to upper eighties. And mm-hmm. we swallowed these thermometers that, right. That stayed in your gut and our nutritionists mm-hmm. would come by and sort of scan us and, and see what our core temp was. And we'd go through different cooling methods and see, and I was shocked at how quickly my core temp got up over a hundred. I mean, it was uh, less, yep. less than 30 minutes and I was cooking already. And I was like, Oh, that's not wow. good. 
Um, so, you know, we also worked with like ice slushies. Those really helped kind of, those could actually bring my core temp down a tick, like not much at all, but at least Mm. it would come down a little bit. And it's kind of like this, you know, experimenting with that, like how, how do you drink an ice? Like, how can you get as much ice slushy in you? Without freezing your brain. Without right? getting ice cream head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of playing with that. Like, okay, so it's like, obviously, you don't want to gulp a ton down all at once. But it was like, okay, if you take, you know, it kind of figured out about how much I could sip, you know, every six arrows, right? I'd shoot six arrows, I'd drink, drink a little bit, drink a little bit, like almost get on the verge of that ice cream head. And then, okay, stop that. And then go back to shooting arrows and really in the, in the extremely hot days is all about consistency, you know, starting, starting off well, starting off hydrated, starting off well rested and then showing up and like, just not, not being sort of ignorant about things. Like don't just go out and sit in the sun for an hour before your tournament for no reason. Mm -hmm. Like, right. Like go stay in the shade, like go, like keep yourself as cool as possible until you have to be exposed to sun. Yep. And be pre-cooling with those ice slushies and stuff beforehand. Like, right, really, really give yourself mm. the best chance as possible. Yeah. Other things I did. For- and so do you also, sorry, you're- go ahead. I was going to ask, do you also eat while you're, while you're competing? Do you take on any food or are you usually mostly fluid for that, you know, fueling and, and a bit of, bit of carbohydrate? Yeah. So fueling during a tournament, like I I will eat breakfast, which I'm not, I'm not typically a breakfast person. Like I, my, my normal day, I'll, I'll wake up and sort of get going and then go to the gym and then I'll come home from the gym. And normally my first meal is like, you know, a protein shake and a couple eggs or something like that. But for tournaments, mm-hmm. I find not, not a big breakfast, but something, uh, you know, get, if I can get some carbohydrate, a little bit of fat, um, and obviously, you know, some protein in there as well. You know, not not large amounts at all, just like a piece of wheat toast, uh, you know, an egg or yep. two, and maybe a slice or two of bacon, you know, something you can find at, you know, the local, at, at the hotel uh, buffet, you know, yep. um, or a yogurt, mm-hmm. you know, something, as long as it doesn't have tons of sugar in it, that's kind of where I would start out. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if it, Oftentimes we shoot that qualifying round at like eight or nine in the morning. So, right. I would be mm. eating, I would be eating this breakfast somewhere around six thirty, maybe seven o'clock at the latest, get mm-hmm. to the field, seven thirty. my equipment's together. We start shooting our practice ends. If it is hot like that, I will be taking in fluids. I try to avoid sugar in those slushies, but it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of funny. The, the consistency when you use a like stevia or other you know alternate doesn't sugar slush properly does it no it's it like a bit more icy clumps up and gets weird yeah so it's uh yeah it's like because uh, I don't want to just I mean if you're pounding those slushies you can go through you know six nine hundred calories of of sugar pretty quickly so it's mm. it's just a mm. it's a balancing act but I will I'll like take in. Um, like a mostly just like beef jerky or you know sort of stuff like that that uh, okay. you know, not not a lot of carbs to me I'm a I'm a pretty slow twitch athlete like even like right the endurance mm-hmm. stuff and like even archery like I find it's more a muscular endurance sort of sport 
mm-hmm. because uh, right, you're shooting 72 times. We get four minutes to shoot six arrows, and so yep, like that's kind of a long time to shoot six arrows. I mean, considering yeah. that my shot yep. cycle takes seven seconds, you know, and then I got to knock an arrow and all that, but between shooting an arrow and shooting my next arrow, I know I can do it in 20 seconds because I do that drill. So, <laughs> but, uh, but, but in a tournament, you don't have to. So, yeah, so got it's, plenty you know, of time you can, to kind of settle yourself in between. It, it, absolutely. And, you know, sort of, you know, take some breaths, make sure your muscles are, I mean, my, the draw weight of my bow isn't like, oh gosh, I can't get this back. Like it's nowhere near that level. It's, but, you know, you want to mm-hmm. give yourself, Give yourself some deep breaths, like make sure the muscles, you know, fully recovered and it's ready to go again. And yeah, just taking in just some light stuff throughout the day. And it depends on how the line's being shot. So sometimes, like oftentimes at para-specific tournaments, we will shoot one line only. So, right, like Mm. everybody who's standing on the line shoots their arrows and then we're done. We walk down range or we have an agent. If we can't walk down range, agent, go down, get our arrows and come back. We're at like mm-hmm. national level tournaments in the U.S. here, you know, or even international events I've been to. They'll shoot two lines, so the the A B line will come up and shoot. They shoot six arrows, and then they get off the line, and then the C D line comes up. They shoot, they shoot six arrows, mm-hmm. and then everybody goes down and scores. You know, a tournament like that's going to take almost twice the time. Take so, a lot longer. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. know, that day you kind of got to be you know, just aware of like, okay, did I eat? Like, have I, for me, like during a tournament, I have to remember to eat. And so mm. normally it's like, I'm like, okay. Do you I'm, tend to get hungry if you don't? Uh, I don't, I don't get hungry. It's because I get so distracted that I just don't mm. notice that I'm hungry and I'm not, it's not like I'm starving, yeah. but I just know that, right. Like through other sport I've been in, I know if like, okay, I've been out here for two and a half hours and I haven't eaten anything. I'm, I'm guessing I'm, you know, using fat at that point. Like, I don't know. It, it depends on how much, uh, how much I didn't eat that morning, but it's, uh, I just noticed that if I eat, you know, and again, nothing like major, you know, we're talking maybe a couple hundred calories throughout the course of a tournament is normally enough to keep me performing at my best. Yeah. And then right. The electrolytes, all that stuff in the fluids taking in to make sure I'm maintaining my hydration. Cause I mean, even just sitting out there in the sun and not archery isn't really a high level energy expenditure sport. Right. Unfortunately, that's why I got an Ironman. Right. I, I love eating high calorie yeah. foods. So, uh, <laughs> my, my way to, to keep doing that was to do as much work as possible all week long. Burn off it all. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah. And, and I guess, you know, with archery, it's it's more about you're, you're exposed to the elements for longer, so you've got to manage that effect of the elements on your body. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you don't, like I said, if you don't stay on it, oftentimes we'll think we're fine, right? Oh, sure, it's sunny or whatever, and then come, you know, halfway through, all of a sudden we're like, oh, man, I'm hot. Like, you're at that point, you're mm-hmm. it's too late. You're done. So, um, you know, if you're not, if, if I'm at a tournament, typically at tournaments, I'm not pulling my own arrows at this outdoor 70 meter event. So, right. I have Mm -hmm. like, I bring a a shade umbrella with me again, my cooling towels and, Mm. you know, doing my best to stay out of that sun because yeah, you just get fried. You know, I shoot, 
when I'm shooting yeah. outdoors, I shoot with a visor and, you know, anything I can do to keep the sun off me, even mm-hmm. arm sleeves, stuff like that. Yeah. And so have you faced any specific nutrition challenges that, since your injury? Like if you look at how your body operated before your injury in terms of how your gut operated and, and you know, just how your whole system sort of operated. Any specific challenges that you've faced since your injury? Like has your gut function seemed to be much the same or have there been changes with that or has anything else that you've noticed? Nothing specifically. When I, uh, I, I found that our bodies are pretty decent at adapting towards what you feed them. I mean, I have mm-hmm. met other people with spinal cord injury that they're like, oh, my, my stomach's always all messed up. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, like, what are you eating? And it's like, oh, I'm eating like McDonald's and Taco Bell. I'm like, well, that would probably mess up. And <laughs> like, that's not good food. Like that's <laughs> like, it's already been processed. Your, body, your, your body's meant to process things and it's already, yep. <laughs> you don't put crap in. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, as long as I'm eating actual food, I've never had an issue. It's kind of like even when I was, so I was an able-bodied triathlete when I, I started with running was my first kind of entry into endurance sport. And then I got plantar fasciitis in my feet and I was like, oh, what can I do and still eat all that peanut butter I love? And then, so I got a bike and started cycling a lot where mm-hmm. I never really imagined about, you know, having a coffee on a, going out for a run. Uh, you know, some of the guys I went on bike rides with, you know, they'd go for, you know, 50 miles and then stop and have breakfast and then 50 miles home, right. To get a century in. And mm. the first time I did that and I had a big coffee and then I was riding my bike, I felt like I was going to vomit the next 50 miles. I was like, <laughs> I don't know how you guys do this, but as stupid as I was, I just kept doing it. And then like, eventually I could just drink coffee and ride my bike. Uh, <laughs> it was like, the power of adaptation. <laughs> yeah, it was really shocking to me. I'm like, it was like three months ago. I couldn't do this without thinking I was going to get sick. But now it's totally fine. I'm like, okay. And but, speaking of coffee, do you use caffeine at all with your archery? Yeah. So that's so that's um, so something I did specifically before Tokyo was so somewhere four or six months prior to Tokyo. Is I tried to eliminate caffeine mostly for me. That is sodas. And mm-hmm. not that I drink them all day, but normally I would have a soda at lunch and then, and mm-hmm. then eliminate alcohol as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And so my, my main reason for doing that prior to that was I was fairly certain it was affecting my sleep. I, right. I tend to, you know, I have friends that I talk to and they're like, Oh, I had, caffeine doesn't affect my sleep. Like I could drink caffeine and go straight to bed. And I'm like, okay, but like, when was the last time you remember having a dream? Like, uh, it's, <laughs> it's like your, your, your eyes are closed, but are you hitting the, but, the forms of yeah, sleep that, that you actually need? That- yeah, exactly. So I knew I wasn't getting the best of sleep with, with any alcohol or caffeine, both affect your sleep in, in mm. great ways, unfortunately. So I cut those out just so that I could, right? Doing that was able to increase my training performance because I would be well rested. Mm -hmm. So I kind of saw it as that. And now 
you know, doing more studying and learning. Um, uh, my wife's actually been playing with this at tournaments recently where we'll do like a caffeine taper. I haven't played with this yet, but it's an idea I want to play with about five, Mm -hmm. six days prior to an event, no caffeine during that window. And then about an hour or so before the event starts doing like a good, you know, 60 milligrams of caffeine to Mm -hmm. sort of get that stimulant effect going, you know, not, not a jittery Mm -hmm. effect, but just, you know, stimulants really can bring on a great level of focus and attention Mm -hmm. and an archery that might be beneficial. Yep. So yeah, I don't know. I definitely use caffeine like crazy when I was in Ironman. That's for sure. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and, and so I guess, did you find that the cutting back on the caffeine and the alcohol actually helped you sleep? Yeah. It was in Florida. I was at a, uh, a qualifying event at that point for uh, one of our trial shoots. And I think we were, I was down there like a week and a half before it. Like I was, you know, kind of acclimating to Florida and I have some friends down there that I could shoot with. So I was down there training and I came out of the hotel room one day and I told my buddy Zach, I'm like, dude, I had a dream last night. It's like, I, I was one of those, one of those people, right. Where it's like, oh, I just don't dream. Like, right. I, I, I never remember mm, my dreams. I never. Yep. And then like, you know, this had been like a couple of weeks into my caffeine free living. And uh, I was like, man, I had a, a super yep. vivid dream last night. He's like, and this guy's just runs off caffeine. Right. And he's like, no, dreams don't exist, man. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get off your caffeine hit. <laughs> yeah. So it was, yep. you know, I did notice deeper sleep, a little more well-rested. You know, I, I'd yep. love to, the more I study sleep and stuff, like I, I would love to try like a cooling mattress that sort of controls your uh, your body temp throughout the night. And I'm like, that yep. seems, because, uh, you know, oftentimes I'll, it doesn't matter if it's the middle of winter and it's like 20 degrees out here. I always wake up hot at some point in the middle of the night. And so I'm like, it, mm. it would be nice to uh, not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'm trying to think any other uh, nutrition-specific things I do for archery specifically. And What about for travel? Yeah, travel is it's super hard because I really like going out to eat when I travel. And then when I go out to eat, you know, well, if I'm paying for dinner, I'm not going to pay for some darn salad. I'm going to get a steak and potato <laughs> or whatever, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's hit and miss. So I, I try to... Uh, I think a, a meal that I like when I go out, if it's in a place where it's accessible, is good sushi. Like uh, normally, I won't mm. stuff my face too bad on sushi, and it won't won't be uh, just a giant carbohydrate bomb, you know. Mm. But that's definitely something I could probably do better because I'm also known to go out for pizza. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then my uh, <laughs> my reward for shooting well is often ice cream. So. Um, <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, there's always got to be a reward. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just so nice. And so, yeah, oh, you need to have a bit of reward. Food, food is there for multiple reasons, and enjoyment is one of them. Absolutely. Mm. So, seeing as you got your injury whilst you were training for an Ironman, and you've obviously been through a range of sports since, do you find that your body's that your appetite adjusts? fairly effectively to the amount of energy that you're expending, like that your appetite actually drops 
when you're not you know doing the same level of exercise or have you had to work pretty hard on being conscious about your food intake according to the level of training that you're doing to avoid major changes in your body composition yeah unfortunately that so i guess this this goes back tying into what changed after my injury so I have always had a fairly low uh, metabolism, you know, resting basal, mm-hmm. whatever. And that's unfortunate. So that's that's one of the reasons why I was in endurance sport, right? Literally was so I could mm. eat even, even normal amounts of calories per day and not put on weight. And unfortunately, right after my injury, that only got worse. Not that my, my you know, base metallic rate changed, but I'm not burning the same amount of calories because I'm in a wheelchair, meaning like, right. Mm. For, for anybody else, just walking to the mailbox and back. Well, it's like, okay, like for me, that's, I'm moving 180 pounds. Let's call it a hundred meters, right? 50 meters to the mailbox and back. Mm. Like doing that in a wheelchair is, you know, as long as the terrain is relatively flat and smooth, it's like, I could push my wheelchair probably five times and get to the mailbox, right? So now I'm mm-hmm. talking about just 10 mm-hmm. pushes, you know, because the efficiency that the wheel gives us, it's mm-hmm. really great for getting around, but it's also so efficient that you're not burning calories. And so, mm-hmm. right, when you take away the those large leg muscles that are good at moving heavy weights around, yep. you're, you're, you're not burning those calories. So I've been more conscious of it since my injury. Like my diet is incredibly important to me like unfortunately basically that means like every morning i get up and get on the scale and that number means something to me like i'm like not it's not like oh we can't eat anything at all today but it's like um okay you've you've kind of been eating like a fat kid the last couple days and you need to not Mm -hmm. do that otherwise you're not going to fit in your wheelchair so it's you know it's not like i'm trying to fat shame myself or anything but it's just like the reality is like i'm not burning the calories so if i want to maintain the same physique like i can't put more calories into my mouth Mm. and it's i mean when i was training for iron man i'm talking five days a week i had two a day workouts one day a week i had Mm -hmm. a three a day workout and then one day a week was total rest and i was often hungry during that time frame (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. just trying to maintain, yep. uh, to, to stay near race weight so that when I came up to a race, I didn't have to try to cut, you know, 10 pounds. Yep. So that was, uh, I, I loved my three-a-day work. My, my, my three-a-day Saturdays was my big, hard, heavy training day. And I loved it and hated it because I could eat whatever I wanted. But at the same time, I was so exhausted from all the training and eating all the, you know, the the goo supplements and things of that, that I was so, my stomach was like, I don't want anything else in me by the time I was done. Um, more. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like my, my total cheat day. I, I didn't normally end up eating a ton more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been, you know, it's something to pay attention to, like in, you know, the, the community that uses wheelchairs. It's, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, like, right. Obesity is uh, a thing that's, I mean, it's rampant across the all population, but like, uh, for people with disabilities mm-hmm. that have, you know, mobility impairments, 
the only way to get rid of those calories, you know, besides the basal rate is to move. And so if you're limited mm. what you can move, uh, it's going to limit how you can get rid of those calories, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I'm just aware we've we've been talking for quite a long time, which is, is great because you, you're really easy to listen to. What recommendations do you have for athletes who may be looking at archery as a potential sport? How do you get into archery? Yeah, so getting into archery, normally you can find a club or an archery shop, you know, or sometimes those might be the same thing where it's like the archery shop hosts a club that shoots there every Tuesday night or something mm-hmm. like this. Find a club and just start, uh, go there. Normally you can go and if, if it's a club, it might be free or they might have, you know, a pretty modest price to, to rent a bow for, you know, an hour or two mm-hmm. and just start getting into it that way. Archery is such a great sport for, for everybody from, I mean, I was just at the Las Vegas shoot. They call it the Vegas shoot. You mm-hmm. know, it's the largest archery tournament in the world. We had nearly 4,000 archers at this tournament you wow. know, competing over three days. And we had, mm-hmm. I believe the youngest contestant was six or seven years old. And the oldest contestant wow. was 101 years old. Oh, that's nuts. Yeah, I was blown away. I was like, man, if I'm moving around like him, when I'm 101, <laughs> could be doing okay. Um, it was it was really astonishing. So it's like, but even on the the adaptive side, like archery hosts a whole range of different disabilities that are able to shoot archery with different adaptations. So like I was mm-hmm. talking about the W1 category, W1 is is mostly quadriplegics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all quadriplegics, but if they're a, a spinal cord injury or if it's MS or some other neuro, neurological disorder, their bows are limited to 45 pound draw weight. And seeing how some of these people, a friend of mine is like a C6 quadriplegic and he's shooting archery and he's shooting it very mm-hmm. well. And so, you know, some people are like, he mm. doesn't have triceps. How does he do that? And I'm like, I don't know how he does it, but I know he's doing it. Like, I'm watching him do it. <laughs> he he can do it. So, like, yeah. And you've got people with no no arms who, sh- who shoot archery using their legs. Yeah, yeah. We've got, uh, I think we've got three or four of them now. But we've got, you know, Matt Stutzman, the original armless archer. So he's uh, holding the bow with his foot and then he has a shoulder harness that goes around him that attaches you know his release is attached to because he he shoots a compound bow so they're allowed Mm -hmm. to use a release mechanism and so that is how he shoots and he shoots incredibly well right i have Mm -hmm. teammates that are missing just one upper limb you know they're missing an arm and uh they shoot with a mouth tab Mm -hmm. you know i'm trying to think any other you know there's uh there's archery for the visually impaired it's mm-hmm. uh, right. They will use like instead of a sight on their bow, they have a stand that's on the ground. That's sort of like a tripod that has a like a pin, not like it's going to stab you pin, but something that is like a pinpoint that touches your hand. Mm-hmm. So they come up, you know, just anchored like a normal archer shooting and they feel for that pinpoint on their hand in the right spot. And then they would shoot and then their their agent assisting them is going to move that site for them to move their group into the bullseye so Mm. you know it's kind of like that pin is their site so if they were shooting low they're going to raise that pin a little bit you know just and we're talking you know millimeters you know or less little tiny movements make big big impacts downrange yeah but yeah 
And there's a whole host of things. Like, you don't even have to do, you know, Olympic or Paralympic style archery. There's people go out with traditional style bows and have a blast. And, you know, there's there's flight archery, which is basically people building bows to see who can shoot an arrow the farthest. Mm-hmm. There's <laughs> all um, sorts of variations. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty uh it's pretty fun. So I I mess around. Cool. I've I've shot compound competitively. I've shot uh obviously I shoot recurve most competitively competitively. That's what I compete in actively all the time. But you know, sometimes I take breaks. I just this this winter, so winter we do indoor archery and that's at 18 mm-hmm. meters. And so for this indoor season, one of my buddies challenged me to shoot bare bow archery, which is just a recurve bow and an arrow, like no sight, no clicker, mm. kind of using the point of the arrow as an aiming reference point and then just shooting. So I did that for this year's indoor mm. season. I'm happy to be done with that. Back to your recurve bow. <laughs> yeah. So I'm awesome. pretty excited about that. But yeah, just get into archery. I mean, and if, you know, depending on what country you're in, if you have para archers, most that I know, you know, in the, the international competitive field are more than willing and happy to help any fellow archer out. The archery community cool. across the world has been incredibly supportive. And it like it, it literally blows me away. I was at a tournament in the Czech Republic last year. And while I made it to Czech Republic, my luggage made it to Vienna, Austria. And uh, <laughs> was there. This was when they were having chaos in the luggage department. And oh, my, yeah. my luggage didn't get to me until the day before we were supposed to leave. But uh, the, oh. the, the the local archery community there found me a left-handed bow with arrows that were close to the length of arrow that I shoot. And I was able to compete oh. in that tournament with 100% Fabulous. not my equipment. So it was uh, oh. it was pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, had a had a blast. And yeah, that's that's not rare. Like, right. I've had, I've heard stories Mm. of this, uh, this happened at world championships. One of our competitors from Mexico, right. We went to Dubai for world championships and his equipment didn't make it. And right. We're sitting there trying to, Mm. we're getting pieces from different countries. Like, okay, we got his bow. We got his (laughs) arrows. We're like, we built this guy a bow there. So yeah, just reach out to people, you know, find, find who's shooting, find who competes in your country or, you know, in your, your geographic area and start, start asking people questions. And, you know, if you can go train with them, shoot with them, learn from them, the amount of, amount of information out on YouTube, you know, an American two-time silver medalist, uh, Jake Kaminsky has an incredible YouTube channel that he's just putting free information Mm -hmm. out there. That's very accurate and valuable. So super. Awesome. Well, Kevin, I'm wary of your time and I want to make sure that we allow you to go and eat and <laughs> do whatever you need to do to recover. So we'll finish off with one last question and what's that's what's your favourite food? Oh, my favourite food is peanut butter. Far and away, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Does it go on apple and banana as well as maybe on bread or yeah, by well, the spoonful? Yeah, definitely the spoonful is the problem. It's uh, <laughs> whatever it goes on is just a delivery method to get the peanut butter in me. Uh, but yeah, apples. Uh, I mean, of course, chocolate. Like <laughs> I've got, you know, I will. 
I haven't done this in a long time, but one of my favorite little recovery snacks was, uh, this is, this is, uh, shows you how much of a glutton I am. I, w- I would take a heaping spoon of peanut butter <laughs> and then I would press my thumb in it to make a little volcano shape out of it. I would put chocolate, mm-hmm. chocolate chips inside the volcano and then just eat that and then take a swig of milk to wash it down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sure Jackie is just cringing as she hears this. Yeah, yeah, she's like, "Oh, Kevin, Kevin." She she knows my peanut butter addiction. I'm not uh, I'm not allowed to have peanut butter in my house. Okay, so so okay, the controversy the controversy with peanut butter, crunchy or smooth. See, that's my problem. I'll eat them both. Like I I I, I prefer crunchy. I would go crunchy if I, if. You mm-hmm. know, if it's like, okay, what's, what's your favorite of all favorites? But I, I, I don't discriminate. I mm-hmm. eat them all the, 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 the natural, like <laughs> kind of healthier peanut butter and then the full on processed tons of sugar. Like I love it all. It's <laughs> like, well, we better let you go have some now that your mouth is watering for yeah, absolutely. <laughs> more peanut butter. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kevin. It's been fantastic talking to you and I've learned a lot about archery even though I've worked with archery before I've still learned a lot and so I'm sure that a lot of the people listening have have learned a lot as well and we wish you all the best and look forward to seeing what's to come for Kevin Mather. Yeah thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure. I really like how Kevin is so aware of what his body needs and he's not afraid to just commit to what he knows is going to make him a better athlete and to maintain his weight over the longer term for the benefit of his health. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please leave a message if you have any feedback and I hope you'll share it with your family and friends. And I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Chong Min Lee, who was a Korean Paralympic athlete and now works for the Korean Paralympic Committee.